Lord, we love you and we thank you that your grace is sufficient even in hard times. We thank you for the turning, the turning of the leaves, uh, the turning from fall to winter, the turning from winter to spring. Lord, we thank you that the months change, the weeks change, the day changes, but yet you never change. Thank you even for the turn of a year and a decade. It's small. It's just a different date. Yet, but in our soul, it does mark things out. And so, Lord, as we gather for the first time as your family here as a church uh, today, we just pray, Holy Spirit of God, that you would speak to us, not only about today, but about our future, that you would Give us insight into what you want to do so that we can walk in obedience to whatever you desire. Lord, we don't want to go our way. We actually do, deep in our soul, want to walk with you in a way that's right and good and pleasing. And so help us, Holy Spirit, to do that in Jesus' name. And everybody said, uh, amen. So here, here we are, right? It's, it's another year. It's another turn of a decade. And of course, with that come our goals, our ambitions, our dreams, and at the same time, our challenges, our obstacles, our what-ifs. And at the beginning of anything, you're left with both, aren't you? You have all these things you hope and want, and yet all these things that may not make it a reality. So the question everyone's asking is, what's this next year going to look like? What's the next decade going to look like uh, for you? What is it going to look like for us as a church? It's why we look to the Bible, because I can tell you with absolute authority and confidence that I know God's will for your life. And that's not an exaggeration. Now, I don't know the nitty-gritty details. When we think of the will of God, we think of, does God want me to, to be a duck or a beaver? We already know God's will about that. He doesn't care. Uh, do I need to go to this school or that school? Does, is God's will for me to, to date or, or, or not to date? Or, you know, we, I'm not talking about those details. I'm talking about what does God want to do with the trajectory of your life? I know it. And guess what? So do you. Because it's written in the book. The Bible gives us the will of God. And so if you caught the video last week, what's, what's God's will for us as a church? We know as a prisoner for the Lord, Ephesians 4.1, as a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life that's worthy of the calling that you have received. If you received Jesus, you've been called. You are the called. So God's will for your life and my life is that we would live worthy. Uh, another translation, that we would walk worthy of the calling to which we have been called. You and I are already called by God to himself. Therefore, God's will for your life, I know it. I can declare it. And that's not arrogance. It's truthful. Is that you and I, God's will, is that you and I would live, walk, act, speak, Treat other people in a manner that's worthy. In light of what God's done, now the right response is to live for God. That makes sense. Now, what's the secret, though, to spiritual growth? My, my, my feed, like my Instagram feed, is blowing up right now, blowing up with diet secrets. <laughs> I, I, I did a search on one little thing about one diet, and, and somehow the algorithms got me. So every other photo is keto this and this that and the other. I'm like, wow, I have all these new friends. 
who are trying to tell me this is how to live healthy in the new year. Now, whether they're, they're true or not, secret to spiritual life is no secret at all. It's not a secret. Remember who you are. Just write it down. Remember who you are. If we remember who we are in light of Jesus, then that will drive the trajectory of our growth. How do you want to live a life that's worthy of the calling to which you've been called? No. Be grounded in who you are. So what we're going to do is remember our identity. Who are we really in Jesus? And the way this just worked out, look, I'd love to say I made this stuff up and I'm clever. I'm not. As I mapped out the rest of Ephesians, 10 more weeks, and it just so happens there will be 10 die-hard, absolute concrete truths about you from God that can drill in your soul a foundation to live a life that's worthy. So over the next 10 weeks, well, 10 years and a decade, I'd love to say I made this stuff up, but there happen to be 10 that we're going to look at, and what we're going to do is every week look at one thing that's true not will be true, not might be true, not could possibly be true for some, is absolutely rock solid, true for you if you're in Jesus. And then we want to do the hard work of thinking about, and this is why our community groups are so important, we want to talk about how to live them out. Because one thing to say who you are, it's another thing to say how am I going to live into who God's made me to be. So growth, we have to be reminded, is a process. Uh, just think about physical growth. I mean, a baby is born into the world and birth happens in a moment. Now, a mom would say, it wasn't no moment. It was push, push, push. It was hours. It was pain. But, but, but the birth, I mean, the, the actual, the, you know, the, the moment, oh, wow, ooh, tears, all that. That happens in a moment, right? What we forget is there was nine months of inner growth and a lifetime of outer growth, right? So birth is a moment, but growth is a process. And so what I want to suggest is we want to know who we are. Here's why. Birth in Jesus is a moment. You realize who you are apart from God. Lost. You realize that Jesus is the finder. He came looking for you. He walked this earth and he died on a cross to pay our sin in full, and then he rises again and says, I'm alive, now I'm bringing you to life. I can give you lasting life. And in a moment when we say, God, I want that life, we're reborn. But you know what? That's not the end. That's just the beginning. And this is why we get confused and we get stalled in our growth because we think like, okay, I'm a Christian. Well, okay. No, that was just the birth. That was the moment. So imagine... Imagine just with me for a second my growth. Imagine if I was born with baby hands. Jose with his little baby hands, right? Little baby Jose. But just imagine if, if my body began to grow, but my hands never grew. Jose with his little baby hands. Jose with the tiny, tiny little baby hands. And now Jose the teenager with the baby hands. And then Jose the adult with the baby hands. Now all of us would say like, well, that makes no that makes no sense. Our body was designed to grow all of it together, right? Every, this, is, this, is, this is mysterious. This is amazing. But God put in our DNA that as the rest of my body grows, all of it continues to grow together. 
And then most of it stops, you know, except the earlobes. They just keep growing. So by the time I'm 85, they'll be hanging like right down here. Get plugs, they'll be hanging down to here. Growth is the most natural, the most natural thing that comes after birth. Wouldn't you agree? But what would it look like as a church if only some of us grew? Legs got bigger. Whoever represents the arms got bigger. Whoever represents the neck got bigger. But some hands never grew. Baby hands. We wouldn't call that natural and normal. As a matter of fact, we would say, oh, wow. That's just not the way it should be, right? And so in the same way, we're calling you as a church, everyone to grow. Everyone this year to grow, to mature, to live a life that's worthy of the calling that you've received, to walk in a manner that's worthy of the calling to which you have been called, whatever translation you want to use. Now, here's what we want to do. We want to ground ourselves in one truth, and I'm going to read it, and we're going to read it out loud together. We're going to put it on the screen, Ephesians 4, chapter, one, uh, chapter 4, verses 1, all the way through verse 6. We got it on the screen. I'm going to invite you. We're going to say this out loud together. Ready? One, two, three. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit. Just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, through all, and in all. That is just so good to hear us all say what's right and true together. Now we're going to focus, like I said, on one dimension, and here we're going to look at one dimension. Write this down. This is one of 10 truths that should ground your life in God. Write it down. We are one in Jesus. You saw it like again and again and again. One, 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 one. We are one in Jesus, which is why the analogy about baby hands begins to make sense. If we are connected at the deepest level because of Jesus, we should all grow into maturity. We are one in Jesus. And this is, this is a fact. This is not a suggestion. The Bible teaches that when anyone becomes a new creation in Christ Jesus, they join God's global family. You are a part of God's global, connected, one family. Lots of expressions. Lots of different churches, lowercase c. One church uppercase C, that is the group of people who belong to Jesus by grace, through faith, and and we're not isolated, we're not loosely connected, we're not weekend friends, we're more than friends, we're family. Now how do we know this to be true? Look at verses 4 to 6, and we're going to see it. There is one body, one spirit, you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, One God and Father who's over all. If you count it up, how many times does he say one? Seven times. Seven times he says 
to drill this foundational truth. Seven times you are one. By the way, Paul is a Jewish teacher who's saturated in the Bible. And if you've ever read the first part of the Bible, you realize that numbers and names and places have a significance that we don't even understand in our modern world. So the fact that he writes seven times is one, he's saying something. Creation happened in seven days. You remember Jacob, he, he, he fell in love and he wanted to marry a young lady. He had to give seven years of labor to, to Laban. The number seven throughout the Bible often means complete. It means perfect. Creation in seven days, Jacob has to work for a, a woman for seven years. Guys, we got it easy these days. Israel, Israel walked around Jericho how many times? Seven times. What's the, the, the complete number of times, the perfect number of times? Jesus is asked, how many times am I supposed to forgive someone? What does he say? Seventy times seven. The perfect complete number of times is what he said. And now Revelation, which we'll look at later this year, oh my gosh, there are seven churches, there are seven stars, there are seven seals, there are seven scrolls. There's the sevenfold spirit of God. Seven, 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 seven. I don't even know if I said it seven times or not, I just kept going. So together, what does that mean? We are really, really perfectly, beautifully, completely Together, we are really, 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 really one. Now, how can this be true, God? We're really united to God. Now, think about it. The reason we're one is because God is one. The truths about us come out of the truths about who God is. So God is three persons, one. Explain this to me. I, I, I can't. I could give you some analogies. There's an egg. There's a shell of an egg. There's a white of an egg. There's a yolk of an egg. It's an egg. Okay, they all break down. God is Father. Distinct and different from God is the Son. Distinct and different from God is the Spirit that is holy. So, the Spirit is not the Son. And the Spirit is not the Father. As a matter of fact, Jesus, the Son, said the Father would send the Spirit. Are you confused? Yes. Here's what I know. God is described as distinct and different and one at the same time. So you and I are distinct and different. Oh, you're not the Father, you're not the Son, you're not the Spirit. Calm down. The analogies all break down. But here we are. And yet we are different, yet we are one. So the, the Christmas song we sang uh, uh, on Christmas Eve, holy, 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 God in three persons, blessed Trinity. He doesn't use the word Trinity here, but think back to Ephesians. Just let's think back to Ephesians. There's one body. Why? Because there's one Holy Spirit. In Genesis, we realize that God created man in his image, shaped him, and breathed in him <sighs> the breath of life, the spirit. God breathed into dead flesh life, and God gives life. So in the same way, there is only one body of people who belong to Jesus because there's one same Holy Spirit. Here's the cool part. Whether you feel like you're a Christian leader or not, whether you feel like you're a good Christian or not, whether you feel like you're a mature, growing Christian or not, 
you have the same Holy Spirit working inside of you than everyone else here. There's no advantage. Hear me. No one has an advantage. Why? God, the same God, is living and working inside of every one of us. Now, it seems like some people have an advantage, but that's, we just got to get that false thinking out of our head. Everyone has the same opportunity to know God. Why? One body with one spirit. Now, there's also one hope, one faith, and one baptism. And you look here, and Paul connects that to one Savior, our Lord Jesus. So the reason there's only one baptism we're baptized into is because only one person came to save us, and that's Jesus the Son. There's one hope that all of us enjoy because it's Jesus the Son. There's, there's one faith. We put our faith in one person, Jesus the Son. Interestingly, we don't put our faith in the Spirit. Put our faith in the Son. God the Son came to rescue us. And then notice he, he says one family and he ties the family to God the Father. Does that make sense? The Father has one family, one God and Father over all. So Paul doesn't use the word Trinity, but he has, he has the triune God in mind. Now you're saying, Jose, great, thank you, we're one. I kind of get that. How, do, how though does being one fit with the call to live a life that's worthy of the calling that we have received. Write this down. So that was the truth, the foundational truth. We are one in Jesus. Now what does that mean? Write this down. Growth happens together. Growth happens together. As a matter of fact, let's just say it together. One, two, three. Growth happens together. Say it again. Growth happens together. How are we, think of baby hands, all of the body needs to, to grow. How, it happens because we're connected. So the implication is as the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit are united and moving in unison, we're called to be united and move in unison. We do it imperfectly. Hear me. Church is jacked up. Straight up. Forgive the slang. Messed up. Church is messy. Man, the more you get to know about church, the less you probably want to go. Why? Because we're messy. Here's the beautiful thing. God's not messy. Perfectly united. So what we're doing is we're living into who God is. We're growing into who God is so that our lives are less messy because it's more filled with God's presence. Not perfect, but the church can be a mess. That's why I, if you watch the video from last week, our, our vision is absolutely clear. Absolutely clear. We want to help people experience life in Jesus. Jesus is the Savior. We want to help people experience life in him. And last week I, I teased out the how. How do we do that? Together we learn to follow Jesus and we love one another and we share the good news. That's the how. Because we are one, we grow together as a church. How do we do this? We're going to learn to follow Jesus together. Together, we're going to learn what it means to really love one another, not in theory, but in practice. Together, we're going to learn what it means to share this good news that Jesus saves. We want to do this together. Growth happens together. And so I don't want us to miss that. So that means God wants to bring you, if this is your church, and if it's not, you're just visiting, welcome. These truths are still true of you. But if this is your church, 
I can tell you God's will for your life. God's will is that you would grow closer to other Jesus people here in relationship, in depth, in communication, in sharing. Why? Because together we are going to learn to follow Jesus and grow. Together we're going to learn what it means to love one another and grow. And together we're going to learn to what it is to follow God's direction, to love his world, to share good news. All of this happens together. And, and, and hear me, I, I would love it if God did a digital download. I love like online living right now because if I want something on my phone, just hit the button and then, and then the app is on my phone. It's just like digital download. I mean, some, some, some are into print books. I love print books in your house. I love them. Because I just love, if I got my device, I got, if I got my device, it's, it's just digital download fast. But that is a terrible way to think about how to grow in Jesus. God is not going to digital download to you. And if you keep asking him, he's going to say, no! Here's how I'm going to grow you. I'm going to put you with other Jesus people. And most of the time, I'm going to speak through them. And they're not even going to know it's me speaking through them, but that's how I'm going to shape you. How do I know that? Jesus walked with 12 guys together. None of them got a God download. They all walked with Jesus. And Jesus walked them. And then he said, go and make disciples who walk together and know my love and experience my presence. And together you're going to get God. Now I'm not saying that when you call on God and open your Bible and pray that God's not speaking to you. Of course he's speaking to you. But that's only part of it. We're going to learn what it means to experience growth together. That means we need time and margin for each other, which is very inconvenient and very costly. And hear me, very much worth it. It's worth it to carve chunks of time in your life for other people who belong to this church. Why? God's going to grow us together. Okay, that's all good theory. What does it mean like practically? It's in the Bible. Look at this. Verse 2. How do we grow together specifically, practically? Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Be completely humble and gentle. The word here has to do, be completely humble, has to do with our thinking. You could translate it, be humble, have lowliness of mind. This is all about your mindset. Humility isn't just about action, like, oh, wow, they did that or didn't do that. They're humble. No, it's a mindset. And so lowliness of mind means there's always two thoughts. I'm going to tend to want to puff myself up. But be completely humble means in my mind, I'm going to say, yeah, I want to do that. And yeah, I want this. And yeah, this will benefit me. But actually, I'm one with you in Jesus. Therefore, all these things I have in my mind, I'm going to make them a little bit lower because you matter. Humility, be completely humble, is to say everything in my mind that I think is valuable may be valuable, but have I considered you? Have I thought about the impact of my selfishness on your growth and development? Have I factored you in? Now, m mind you, this is this is crazy talk. This is so non-American. This is so non-Western. This is so non-now. This is almost like, are you kidding me? 
Did you just drop in from the Middle Ages? Yes, I did. With truth. Be completely humble means I, I think about you more than I just think about myself. Be completely humble does not mean I don't think about myself. Don't, don't misinterpret this. It doesn't mean I don't factor in good things that I want to do. It doesn't mean I have less worth in who I am and it's all about you. No, it's about balancing out pride with a God-driven care for you. Be completely humble. Paul uses the same exact word one letter over. So if you have your Bible, just turn it for me. It's literally two pages to the right to Philippians chapter 2. And if you want to know what be completely humble looks like, he says it in Philippians 2, and I'll start in verse 3. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Don't be motivated by pride. Rather, in humility, that is literally the same exact word that's in Ephesians 4. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you. So it's not one way, it's we both are. To the interests of the others. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset. I wanted you to catch that. Humility is a mindset. It is a way of seeing myself and you based on the reality that you and I are one in Jesus. Do everything, um, have the same mindset of Jesus, who, being a very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant. So Jesus did not have to serve, by the way, he is the king of the universe. But he chose to. He had all power and authority, and he chose to say, I'm going to put the God card aside for the care of the people I love. I am God. He never stopped being God. But I'm taking on real humanity out of love. So what Paul says in light of Jesus is we ought to take the same pattern. This ought to be our mindset. Now, I need to look at your interests, not just my own. And I realize this is so easy to say and so hard to do. This is good theory. Isn't this great Theor theoretical class? But this is hard in practice. Our default mode is to think about us and we're driven in our culture. Me, me, me. And you are important and you do have value and you do matter. And God is concerned about you. It's not just group collective thinking. He's concerned about the details of your life. But hear me, he's concerned about the details of everyone's lives. So, to pattern my way after Jesus, I choose to think about you when I'm factoring in what I'm going to do with my life, my time, the resources God gives me, the gifts and enablements that he's given me. I'm thinking about you. So, humility, what is that followed with? That's followed by gentleness. Think back to Ephesians 4. Be completely humble and gentle. Now I have to say, like, gentle sounds like a little sissy word in English, to be honest. I, like, who wants to be gentle? It almost sounds weak in English. Oh, he's, what's he like? Oh, he's gentle. Okay, that's weird. Um, but the idea here is mildness. And it's a contrast word to rough and abrasive. 
So be completely humble. That is, in my mind, I factor you. I lower my thinking about myself to give space for you. And I act. I live with mildness. You know my mind immediately goes to? Dawn soap. Have you ever seen? See, it's the blue soap. And there was a commercial years ago about, you know, Dawn soap gets the grease out of your way. Do you remember, you remember that? I'm, I'm aging myself. Well, there was a, I, I literally remember this. I could see the bird. When there was a big oil spill, Dawn was smart. And they said, wear the soap that, you know, imagine these birds going to die because all this oil spill is all over them. And they take the Dawn soap and they clean the bird. Like, look, this soap is so amazing. It's saving the birds. And so, so, so what Dawn Soap, what, here's their marketing. It's tough enough to get rid of the grease, mild enough to protect the bird. Wow, it's even good on the hands. It's amazing. <laughs> so Dawn gets grease out of the way, but in a mild way. And I think it's a goofy illustration. But what would it look like if we came to people not pretending, oh man, I have nothing to offer you, but can you be, can you be my friend, please? <laughs> but rather, no, no, with, hey, you're my brother, you're my sister, we belong to each other, but we, we loved each other with mildness. In other words, we're not abrasive, we're not forceful, we're not rough. So humility matched with gentleness. Now, this is a real challenge for me. I, I have to say, mildness is not like in my natural DNA, but it's in my Holy Spirit DNA. I mean, our, our kids will tell you, um, in a couple of times in the last year, at home making pizzas in our, our little oven, and you know, I'm going to turn it and move it, and then the cheese starts to slip, and then you know, multiple times I'm just taking a little spatula or whatever thingy and pull down, throw the pizza, like, hate you, pizza. It's like Incredible Hulk without the muscles. <laughs> Within, I, 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 the, the, the switch turned so fast, and then our kids are like. Because I'm like, let's eat out. And it takes me a while to realize that probably wasn't like Jesus. <laughs> and I just threw out the good pizza. But that's my, my default mode is to lash and, and then think about it later. That, I'm not making an excuse. What I'm here to say is that is not like Jesus. That's neither humble nor mild. And so what I get to do is allow Jesus to work on me and say, Holy Spirit, make me strong and mild. Now, how do we partner with God in this? Because we're all going to have things in our lives that we need Jesus to shape again and again and again. Notice it's right here in the Bible, verse 3. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. How do we live this way? How do we live the transformed life? We learn to be what's, what's patient. It literally means long temper, which is so unlike me and pizza. I got quick temper. But, but what God is saying is I can learn to think about you, have lowliness in my mind about myself. So I make room for you. And then I love you with a mildness, strength without being abrasive. And what is that going to take? That's going to take me having a long temper. In other words, 
This is the contrast of the short temper and roughness and abrasiveness that so many of us have. And God wants to produce that in us. And we can learn to be patient with one another. So he says, bearing with one another in love. Here's a better translation, because bearing isn't a word we use. Putting up with each other in love. Now, if you take half that equation out, you're messed up. The Christian life is meant to be lived with me putting up with you. And you putting up with me. How's that for a New Yorker? That's amazing. I love this line. We're called to, to put up with each other. What does that imply? We're not always easy to get along with. And if you are delusional enough to think that you're easy to get along with, then what we need is lowliness of mind. <laughs> Be completely lowly in mind. Because you know what? We all have issues. The only question is, how many of my issues are you aware of? And if you're aware of my issues, are you willing to put up with me? Guess what? Because you belong to me, because I belong to the body, and we're together, and there's no teeny hands. We're all growing. And so what God is calling us to do is remember that we're one, remember that growth happens when we're together. That means I can and should walk in humility. I should learn a little bit of gentleness, non-abrasiveness, and I need to learn to put up with other people as they are putting up with me. This is the Christian life. This is exciting. This is God's will for you in Jesus. And let me be abundantly clear. None of this is automatic. None of this is going to like, you know, digital download. Ooh, there it is. I just pressed the button and it, it happens. None of it. All of this is work. But isn't that what Paul just said? In light of who you are, live a life. Walk a walk that is worthy of the calling to which you've been called. Because God made you his child, put you in his family, now live like it. And what's the last line there in verse 3? So make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. What's, what do we need to do? Because we need action steps to get us in the right trajectory. Write this down. We make every effort to keep what God has started. That's my response. By the way, I didn't start this. I didn't do this. God did this. God saved me. God rescued me. God gave me the Holy Spirit. God put me in his family. So it's not my job, but it is my job. Notice what he said. Make every effort. That means be zealous to, eager to, diligent to. That's what make, what make every effort means. Take pains Two, that's my response. God in his love is doing it. Therefore, I match what God has done with my heart. Just, well, I want to lean in to be like you. So laziness is not an option. Laziness in Jesus, it's not an option. It has been an option, but it's in light of who we are. If, if the body is all to grow, and next week, I, I told you this week I was going to announce a few staff members. I didn't lie. I I'm just putting it off to next week because when I read ahead and looked at the passage, it just seemed to fit. Next week, we're going to look at the second truth about, yes, we're one, but we're not just one. We're also something else. 
And I'll, I'll lean into that next week and we'll announce some new team members. But for today, make every effort. Make every effort to do what? To keep. You know what keep means? It means to hold on to something so as to not lose it. I make every effort to keep. I didn't start it. You didn't start the Christian life. God did that in you. All I did was respond in, in faith. God saved me. He saved me. And now I make every effort to hold on to it. I don't want to lose traction on growth. I don't want to lose patience. I don't want to lose gentleness because God has given me the Holy Spirit. I want to, I want to keep united. He says, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. By the way, I didn't make the unity of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit united us together. All I'm trying to do is partner with God for growth. Make every effort. Let me ask you this question then. In light of all this, can you say with honesty and integrity that you're actually making every effort? That's where, that's where we need to start. Can you say with integrity, not before me, I'm not going to judge you because I don't know what's going on in your soul. Can you say before God, God, thank you that at the turn of the year, I am making every effort. So Lord, you know my heart and you know where I'm going. God, I want, I want what you want. Let's keep this going. Or maybe it's like, wow, I've been sliding for a while. I'm just coasting. So why don't we do this? This is just foundational truth number one of ten. But this starts with the mind. In your mind, see other people as valuable. So in our minds, can we just say, God, I want to give it every effort. As you enable me to live into who I already am, I want to make every effort. And if that's you this morning, we, we want to push ourselves towards response to Jesus. Not to me not to the stage, not to this church, to Jesus. What does it look like for you to go all in? All in. Every bit of what you can present to God, what does it look like for you to be all in? And so I don't know the answer for you because God is a way of customizing everything I just said to your situation, which I love. It's not my job to tell you what God is saying in response, but it's my job to remind you, you have the Holy Spirit who is trying to tell you the specifics of what you need to do or not do in order to walk worthy. And so what we want to invite is the Holy Spirit to work God living among us and in us to work this out. Um, in a moment, I'm going to have you stand. And we're going to respond. That's why I said we're saving more singing. Because sometimes songs have a way of, of pulling everything I've heard together. And the lyrics on the screens have a way of becoming prayers. So what we don't want to do is check out. Please. Right after the teaching's done, the biggest temptation is to say, glad I got that done. What's for lunch? No. This should drive my heart to say, God, I want more of you. So uh, Brandon and the team are going to guide us in extended worship. At any point, if you're like, man, I need, to, I need to pray with someone. At any point, you can just slip out and go out to your right. And there's a door across the hall. There's our office, couches and chairs, and some friends sitting there. 
wanting to pray with you, if that's cool, great. If you want to just get out of your seat and go to the corner and kneel before God, that's cool. If you want to kneel at your own seat, that's cool. If you want to stand in praise, if you want to sit in silence, all of them sound cool. Because the right response is to hear the Spirit's voice and obey. So let's just not check out. Amen? I'm going to invite you to stand, if you can, to your feet. And Brandon's going to lead us. We're going to be in worship for a while. And uh, we'll take the bread and the cup together. Uh, remember, those who want to express faith in Jesus by living generously, say, God, I'm grateful. Maybe the right response is to say, you know what? I'm actually going to give. I'm going to live generous because I've been holding on to this myself and just spending it on me when, when God gave me a body to bless. Maybe that's the right response. I, whatever it is, follow Jesus and he'll be pleased.